Good morning! Welcome to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We look forward to having you on the show. This morning's episode is titled, The Days of Purim. It shall be focused on the study of Esther chapter 9. Before we go any further, we'll begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to recognize that a day where the Jews were being targeted turned into a day of celebration, where, Father, you fought for them and you saved them from destruction through Queen Esther. Lord, we thank you that your ways are past finding out and how, Lord, you make many steps ahead to solve a situation before we even get to the problem. Like it tells us that in the new Jerusalem, you will hear us before we even call. And even now, we know it tells us that you know our needs before we even ask of them. So we thank you that you put Esther in that position to do exactly what she did way before the problem had arisen, for you knew the evil that was in the heart of Haman. So Father, help us to trust you and know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Up next, we shall listen to Esther chapter 9. Chapter 9 Now in the twelfth month, that is the month Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them, the Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces, and the lieutenants, and the deputies, and officers of the king helped the Jews, because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, and slaughter, and destruction, and did what they would unto those that hated them. And in Shushan the palace, the Jews slew and destroyed five hundred men. And Parshandatha, and Dalphon, and Aspatha, and Poretha, and Adalia, and Aridatha, and Parmashta, and Erisai, and Eridai, and Phajazatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, slew they. But on the spoil laid they not their hand. On that day the number of those that were slain in Shushan the palace was brought before the king. And the king said unto Esther the queen, The Jews have slain and destroyed five hundred men in Shushan the palace, and the ten sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is thy petition, and it shall be granted thee? Or what is thy request further, and it shall be done? Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan, to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. And the king commanded it so to be done. And the decree was given at Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the fourteenth day also of the month Adar, and slew three hundred men at Shushan. But on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together, and stood for their lives, and had rest from their enemies, and slew of their foes seventy and five thousand. But they laid not their hands on the prey, on the thirteenth day of the month Adar. 
and on the fourteenth day of the same rested they, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the thirteenth day thereof, and on the fourteenth thereof, and on the fifteenth day of the same, they rested, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the fourteenth day of the month Adar, a day of gladness and feasting and a good day, and of sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things, and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the fourteenth day of the month Adar, and the fifteenth day of the same yearly, as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies, and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy, and from mourning into a good day, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, and of sending portions one to another, and gifts to the poor. And the Jews undertook to do as they had begun, and as Mordecai had written unto them, because Haman the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast pure, that is, the lot, to consume them, and to destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he had devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore they called these days Purim, after the name of Pure. Therefore for all the words of this letter, and of that which they had seen concerning this matter, and which had come unto them, the Jews ordained and took upon them, and upon their seed, and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as it should not fail, that they would keep these two days according to their writing, and according to their appointed time every year, and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, and that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. Then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. And he sent the letters unto all the Jews, to the hundred twenty and seven provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, with words of peace and truth, to confirm these days of Purim in their times appointed, according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them, and as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed, the matters of the fastings and their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. Up next, we shall listen to our sermon by Reverend William Branham, titled The Marriage of the Lamb. This was preached in 1962 on January the 21st in the evening. We'll begin at paragraph 81. Now, marriage, in a one sense, is a type of... The earthly marriage here is a type of the heavenly marriage. Now let's go over it just for a few moments to rehearse it a moment. The first thing there is, there must be a decision made. The first thing takes in natural marriage is a decision has to be made. The young lady has to make her decision whether she wants this young man and the young man whether he wants the young woman. There has to be a decision made. And you have to make it. She must be the only woman in the world that you love, and he must be the only man. If it isn't, then you made a wrong decision. And that's the same way it is by making the decision for Christ. The first thing you have to do is make up your mind whether you're going to serve God and take Him as your Savior, or you're not going to do it. 
Are you going to serve the world or are you going to serve Christ? You have to make up your mind. There has to be a decision made. When you make up your mind that you're either going to serve God or mammon, then you take your choice. But the decision has to be made. And then after the decision is made that you are, then comes the engagement. That you find that at the altar. You've got to make an engagement before this union can be. And that's the way it is with Christ's church. It has to be an engagement with Christ. A, a pledge. A, an engagement. A love affair. And then the next thing is, is promises made. There has to be promises made uh, to one another. Like that you make promise, uh, sweetheart, if you'll marry me, I promise that I'll be loyal and true. I will look upon no other woman or I'll look upon no other man. And I'll do all that as a duty as a wife. If we have children, it'll do all as a duty as, um, as a mother. I'll be a housekeeper. All these promises has got to be made or should be in a correct wedding. And that's the same thing when you come to Christ. Lord, if you will receive me into your kingdom, I promise. There you are. I'll love you. I'll be true to you. I'll serve you day and night. It's too bad we forget that. I'll serve you day and night. I'll fast. I'll pray. I'll be loyal to you. I'll bring my tithings into the storehouse. I'll, I'll, I'll pray many times a day. I'll, I'll do anything and I'll pledge all my love to you. That's what you should do. That's exactly right. Where you promise that. And it should come from your heart. If you promise your husband that, and not from your heart you mean it, you are absolutely not living correctly with him. It's kind of a crystallized affair. Look here. If, if you haven't got teeth, and you use false teeth, now that's all right. It's substituting for the teeth that you once had. But actually, those teeth are not connected with you. It's not part of you. If you had a, an arm amputated and you put a false arm on, well, that arm is actually not connected with you. It's just stuck on you. See? It's not connected with you. And when we take our pledge to Christ, if we don't become part of Him like a woman ought to become part of a man and a man part of the woman then we're artificial Christians. We're not really... You're really not married to that woman. You might be loyal. If you don't love your husband and him 60 or 70 years old and you don't love him as good as you did at the beginning, then you're really just raising his children. That's the way the churches are too many today. We're just taking the name of the Christian church, pretending to be the bride. When it's artificially, we're not connected with Christ in any way. We're like an artificial tooth, artificial arm, artificial eye. See, it's something that's artificial if we're just putting it on. Well, you can't put on Christianity. 
You've got to be connected with it. And then a church that's just artificial called the church of Christ. Well, them children then are not in there that's born of that same uh, organization. Is only, they're not Christ's children. They are denominational children. And not children of Christ. If the woman isn't connected with the man in trueness, then it isn't her husband. It's just the man she's taken a vow to live with and she took a wrong vow. She pledged to love him and she said she loved him and she didn't do it. All the time, the man is deceived. But there's one thing sure, friends. We're not going to deceive Christ. He knows his own. But you see, first, decisions made. Next, engagement. Then, promise. Then, the ceremony. And that's when the bride, bride takes the bridegroom's name. She is no more than of her own name. She takes the bridegroom's name. And then when the church has a ceremony, makes her promises, then she takes the bridegroom's name. Then she is no longer a church of the world. She is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Not, I don't mean that by name. I mean that by birth. By nature, by power of God, by the revealed truth of God in the heart, she becomes a Christian church. The great universal apostolic Christian church. She becomes a part of Christ. When she does that, she Christ injects into her His own spirit. His own life. And the Bible said to Adam and Eve there, You are no longer twain but one. And when the woman church is married to Christ, there are no longer two, they are one. Christ in you. Amen. That's it. His life has been brought into you. Then you become the bride. Then another thing, after she has uh, taken all these vows and so forth, and the ceremony's been said, like my wife's name was Broy before she was married, now she's no longer a Broy, she's Branham. Now she isn't no more Broy, she's Branham. And when you come into Christ, you're no more of the world, you are of Christ. You care not then for the things of the world. They are dead to you. For he that loves the world are the things of the world. The love of God's not even in him. So you see, you can't be an artificial Christian. You can be an artificial professed Christian, but you can't be a Christian until Christ injects himself by the baptism of the Holy Ghost into you. Then you're connected with him. You're no longer twain. You are one. Christ promised to be in us as the Father was in Christ. I and my Father are one. You and I are one. See, Christ in us. All that God was, He poured into Christ. 
And all that Christ was, He poured into the church to continue the work of the gospel. Then we become not by artificial name, but by a reality of the Holy Spirit of life connecting us into Christ. Then, through the power of His resurrection, we are raised from the dead things of the world and setting with Him in heavenly places. Amen. I like that. Tonight we are sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Resurrected with Him. Died to the things of the world and took on Christ. And when we take on Christ, then the world is dead. Then we no more care for the world. The world is dead to us and we're... And it's dead to us and we're dead to it. You're a different person. Different personality. Because you are a, a new creation. Creation. Not the same creation polished up. Not a, a man that's turned a new leaf. But a man that's died. And been born again. And become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the Spirit of the living God lives in the person. Now, just like the woman that's no more a boy, she's a Branham. And she goes by that name. And the church is no more of the world, but it's in the name of Christ she is. She's connected with Him by His own life. Did you ever read in the Scripture how that the first man God made was a, a dual person? Adam was both Adam and Eve, spiritually speaking, but when He made the first man in His own image, and God is a spirit. But when he put them in flesh, he separated them. He'd taken the masculine spirit, put it into the man, and taken the feminine spirit and put it into the woman. Now, when you see a woman want to act like a man, there's something wrong. When you see a man wants to act like a woman, there's something wrong. So it looks like the world's all wrong today. Men are trying to act like women, women like men. That's right. It's true. Now look, it's so perfect that when God took and made a man and to show that He did not want it out of anything different, the woman was not in the original creation. So she is uh, not in the creation, but she's a part of Adam. She's a byproduct. He goes into the side of Adam, not to make another creature, but taking part of a creature and made another creature out of it. And he took the masculine spirit that was in Adam and took the feminine spirit that was in Adam, rather, and put it over into the woman. So both spirit and body, they become one. was a beautiful type that what God did at Calvary he took Christ and connected Him with the church through a ribbon side. He brought the blood that cleansed the person, that sanctifies the flesh of the church, and puts the Spirit of the living God that He took off the cross there out of Christ and puts it into the individual. Then they are one. They become one. Christ and 
you are one. And you and your husband should be one. If there's anything contrary, then there's something wrong with your union. And if there's anything contrary with us to Christ, we don't believe His words. Say, oh, that was for other days. There's something wrong with our union with Him. If you say days of miracles is past, there's no divine healing, there's no baptism of the Holy Ghost, apply that back somewhere. That shows that the Spirit of Christ isn't in you. Because in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh. And then when His Word becomes prominent in you, then you see, it's you and Christ are one man. If ye abide me in my word in you, you can ask what you will because it's not you no more. It's the word of God. Christ in you. You become one. All right. Then another thing after she does that, after she has fulfilled her vows and took her marriage and took her husband's-to-be name, the bridegroom's name, then she's heir of everything he possesses. She's an heir of everything your wife is. An heir of everything you possess. And that's the thing that the church is. If she only knew it, being part of Him with His Spirit in her, He said, The works that I do shall you do also. Yes, he did. Greater than this shall you do, for I go to my Father. A little while in the world she is me no more. Yet you shall see me, for I'll be with you. Even in you. To the end of the world. That is Christ in you. You're connected together and you're heirs with Him. And if He was here on earth, what would He be doing? The same thing He did there because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. He'd be mindful about the Father's business. He'd be healing the sick. He'd be performing miracles. He'd be doing just exactly what He did when He was here on earth. Because He remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's just perfect. That's the marriage. But now, what if this woman gets married and takes all these vows and everything and she becomes this man's husband and she's heir to all he's got and so forth and then she goes wild. She starts off on a tantrum. She starts off running after other men. Not only that, but she's sharing her love with others. A man with his wife. All the promises that he's made. And then she goes out and starts sharing her life with others. Her love and her affection with others. That's what too many so-called Christians do. Sharing your love with the world. Playing, dancing, gambling. Staying home from prayer meetings. To watch television. All kinds of worldly things that's tucked the place of the love of God in the church's heart. She's gone on a tantrum. She's gone wild. She's gone out after other man. She's sharing her love. She'll take her tithing that she should give to the church. She'll spend it on other things out there in the world. She'll, instead of loving God the way she should do and living for God and loving to come to church, you almost had to persuade her to come. Why, I know you're not long ago. A minister told me that he sent out so many prayers, so many cards to get people to sign that they'd pledged to come to Sunday school at least six months out of every year. 
And I'd seen a little old girl down below the hill there where I'd been working. And she uh, come out of there. And I stand at the door and knocked at the door. And she come to the door. And she was some of these here wildcat players, you know, like this bunch you had to have arrested down here in Phoenix last night, I believe it was, doing this new perversion of, of uh, rock and roll or twisters or what it was. And they had to get the cops to come get them. Young folks, don't you understand that that is a spirit of the devil? Under the influence, you didn't know what there was out in the streets carrying on? Like some of these comedians or these uh, record players and jockeys and so forth going to place in a city I was in. And the young ladies taking off their underneath clothes and throwing on the platform for this boy to autograph. Don't you realize that's the devil? It's a spirit of the last days. Sure. It's such a shame. There you are, gone wild. This young woman, she come out carrying on. She didn't watch for God me stand at the door. And she said, Oh, pardon me. I forgot about you standing there. And she throwed a kiss to that guy on the radio or what it was and said, I'll meet you out at the green bar patch or whatever it was. There's going to have some kind of a dance that night. And I said to Dr. Brown, which was a friend of mine, he said, how's your congregation holding out up there, Billy? I said, fine. <laughs> I said, we're giving them pills. <laughs> he said, what kind of pills? I said, gospels. That sure keeps them coming all the time. See? And he told me about that, signing those pledges. And I said, Dr. Brown, do you think that that wildcat player on that radio would have to make that girl sign a pledge that she'd be over there that night? Not at all. She'd pawn what clothes she had on to get there. Why? It's something in her that's connected her, a spirit, to that worldly amusement. And until the church of the living God that's called the bride of Christ gets herself connected with God like that, she'll still wallow in the world in the mire of clay of sin until she's connected with God in such a way till her heart so filled with glory and power of God until she can't see nothing else but Christ. That's right. That's what we'll have to do. That's the only plan, the only program God has is to do a thing like that. You've got to be not artificially tucked in. You've got to be born in. Not shuck in or bring a letter to the church, but to be born in the church of the living God by the regeneration, by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes you a new creature in Him. Amen. That straightens it up. That does it. Sure. All right. She goes wild. She starts sharing her love with others. Worldly things. Worldly amusements. Going to the places she oughtn't to go. Saying the things she oughtn't to say. Here one time I was just having a, a lady, some kind of a church party upstairs. I happened to have something to do at the basement of this house. And I'll tell you, I've heard some awful things when I was a sinner. But that woman's meeting, I never heard any worse jokes in all my life. Could you imagine a person that's called a Christian would let such filth flow from them? You can't get sweet and good water out of the same cistern. 
you put a bucket into the well and it comes out full of wiggle tails, we call them. When you put the bucket down again, it'll bring out the same thing. The cistern needs a scouring out and a filling up with good water. That's what's the matter with the church today, universally speaking. That she needs a scouring out and a filling up with God's holy waters from heaven. Our hearts become a cesspool of anything that comes along. She's got lovers of all kinds. The Bible said she'd have lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, and despisers of those that are right. See a woman that tries to live right, a man that tries to live right, he becomes a holy roller. She becomes a fanatic or some old-fashioned something. She's a castaway. She's despised and rejected by the people of this world. That's right. But did you ever notice what the real church is supposed to do? In the Old Testament, when they had the, the sacrifice, they killed one bird and put the blood of one up on the other. The dead mate. And it flew across the earth, spreading the blood of the dead mate. When the church becomes a real bride of Jesus Christ, she'll carry the blood of Jesus Christ with her, sprinkling it up on the ground, calling, Holy, 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 unto the Lord. Her atmosphere, her every bit of her, will be of God. Her whole makeup will be of God. You can't expect nothing else. That's why people come to church too. Not to play cards and play poker and dance in the basement. Have soup suppers and things like that. That's for the world. And we'll never be able to compare with them and shame on us for trying it. We should preach the Holy Ghost and power and the resurrection of Christ. We've got something they haven't got. Let us live it. Not try to copy after them. Live what we know is right. Live in Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Ye are the salt of the earth. But the salt has lost its Savior. Then it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden on the feet of man. Our testimonies. No wonder even our, our Pentecostal groups, as bad as I hate to say it, our Pentecostal groups are falling right into that same thing. Right into the same trend. And no wonder people say they haven't got what they say they've got. This church of the Pentecostal move ought to be so bound together with the power of Almighty God until the very life of Jesus Christ would be reflected in it. But we want to pattern after the world. We're going to do it anyhow, see? We ought to have our way about it, but we shouldn't do it. It's wrong to do it. The churches, just like the woman went wild. First thing you know, she becomes all right at the beginning. When God gave birth to this Pentecostal church about 40, 50 years ago, she lived holy. She was holy. The power of God was with her. But as we go on, we begin to tally after the world. The first thing you know, we got to have a building that's so big, it's got to outshine the method. It's over on the other corner. We got to have something so big, the biggest thing and the biggest thing and the biggest thing. It's a shame. A lot of us get ourselves puffed up when we get the Pentecostal brother see somebody down in a little mission or a little bitty church and they go to a big church. We belong to the first church or the big church or something like that. Look down upon them. 
What you need is the Holy Ghost to deflate you a little bit. That's right. Let you know that the real true baptism of the Holy Ghost will make a tuxedo suit put his arms around a pair of overalls and say, Brother. Right. Real old time salvation. The power of Almighty God. Yes, sir. I'll make an old silk dress put its arms around a calico and say, Sister, I love you. Sure will. But we begin to go out with the world. Drift with the tides. Our church has. We don't have to talk about the Methodists and Baptists no more. It's ourselves. It's in our own ranks. That's the reason the Holy Spirit cannot move. That's the reason I say that God cannot put His sanction upon any organization tonight. Because the Gentiles was not taken out as a nation. They were a people out of the Gentiles for His name's sake. God will take individuals. Now, I think our organization does a good work. That's all right, but you can't depend on that. Say, I'm Pentecostal because I belong to a Pentecostal organization. You're a Pentecostal. When you get a Pentecostal experience, I don't care if you belong to the Catholic Church. You are Pentecostal. You can't organize Pentecost. Pentecost is an experience, not an organization. And that's right. But we Pentecostal peoples begin to think because we have the name of Pentecost. We can go ahead and live in the world do anything we want to. We're like climbing Nimrod's tower. It'll go to ashes. Like Adam's fig leaf apron. She'll go back. Like the Siegfried line in France. Magnot line in Germany. She crushed. Because there's no other tower. No other stand but the name of the Lord is a mighty tower. That the righteous run into it and are safe. When you run into it, you take the name. The name, not just calling a name, but the name and person that you are. Christ-like in the life. Amen. Wonderful He is. Yes, church has done the same. Committing spiritual fornications. As a woman that would share her love from her husband to another man. That woman's not fit to be lived with. You know that. And when the church begins to share her fellowship with the world, God's a jealous God. He put Israel away because of that. And His Son will put the same thing away. He's going to have a bride that hasn't got a wrinkle in her. Amen. She's wholly washed by the blood of His own self. That's right. So we see where we stand. The wedding getting ready to come. Now, we find out she commits spiritual fornications, going out with the world, professing something, living something different. That won't never work. What the church ought to do is do like Esther did. Esther refused the adorning of the world. We know that little book of Esther. How that Mordecai, his uncle, had a daughter and is down during the times of the reigns of the Medes and Persians. It's a very beautiful type there. The king, one of the greatest kings in the world that day, he had a great feast and he called the queen to come sit by him. But she wouldn't do it. She refused to do it. So what did he do? He was so uh, humiliated, didn't know what to do, that his own wife wouldn't come. I think that's a whole lot like Christ today. Christ has invited us to sit in heavenly places with him and we're ashamed of it. Many people are ashamed to say they've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Pentecostal people. That's right. They're ashamed to say it. We're ashamed of him. And so the queen wouldn't come. She refused to come. It humiliated him. His face turned red. 
Everybody knows that. I wonder if Jesus' face don't turn a little red too when He calls on us for a work. Calls on the Pentecostal movement for fellowship and brotherhood. And we're so tightly organized in little groups that we won't bend for the other. We're so getting so whirly and things like that, we're getting ashamed of the name of Pentecost. Some people are afraid to say, say, well, I, I belong, uh, I'm a Christian, but I, I'm glad that I got a Pentecostal experience. Amen. Amen. I'm glad to bear the name of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest privilege I ever had to say I'm part of Him. Now, we find out. Then he got some consultants to ask, what must he do? And they said, if this goes on like this, all the rest of the women throughout the country will take the example of the first lady, of course. That's what's happening tonight. I look at some of these women. I hope I don't hurt your feelings, and yet I do hope I do. <laughs> trying, trying to be this here first lady stuff with these waterhead haircuts. I've never seen such a thing in all my life. The other day, there's a woman come up in a store where I was waiting for my wife, and that woman's head was that big, and she had green paint under her eyes, and I said, go back, booger man, I'll be good. <laughs> I, I, it was awful. It would scare you. What is it? The first lady. It's a first lady. That's it. And they take an example of that. And let me say this now. I didn't say it jokingly, but in a parable that you'd see. That's exactly what you older Christians are doing for these younger. Exactly right. You're supposed to be examples. You Pentecostals that profess to have the Holy Ghost, you're to be an example for the Methodists and Baptists. Not like the First Lady, but like Jesus. You're supposed to be. He tells you in here what to do, how to do it. We must follow his rules and examples. But that's the way we find it. Esther, this queen, she wouldn't listen to it. She wouldn't come. Humiliated. He said, if, if this first lady of the land sets an example like that, all the rest of the women will do it. So then when a man calls for his wife, she'll say, go jump in the river. <laughs> Boy, he really foretold America, didn't he? <clears throat> Now, we find out that in doing so, then there was a man that had some wisdom about him. Come up and counsel with the king. He said, the thing to do is excommunicate her. And sent out to the nation and call in all the virgins that there is, young virgins, and there pick yourself a wife. It pleased the king. So he sent and he sent out the chambermaids and so forth that went out to, to pick all the young virgins, the beautiful women, throughout all the kingdoms and the provinces that he was over, which was the greatest in the world. And when he did, it come to this little Jewish girl. She was rather a kind of an off-cast because like the Gentiles, you see, she was cast off to one side. And she had no father and mother. And Mordecai, her uncle, was raising her. And she had to go to qualify. And so what they did, they had to take these girls in for purification for so many months. They had to perfume them and do all kinds of an adorning and fix them all up so they could go before the king. Now, that's just about the way the world wants to fix the church today. Dorn it up with the world. Pattern after the things of the world. 
trying to get more members. Taking in anything in their fellowship. It's a pitiful thing. One organization trying to beat the other and take anything in for a member. You might take them in this organization, but they'll never come into the fellowship of Christ until they're cleaned up and born again of the Spirit of God. It's true. They might have their name on a book here, but not up there. In the Lamb's book of life, till it's wrote with the blood of the Lord Jesus. All the women, they fix themselves all up to look pretty and Oh, I imagine they got really some looks on them. Maybe after the first lady and so forth. They got themselves all fixed up because it's going to appear before the king. I think that's about the whole lot's getting the matter with our churches today. They're trying to fix themselves all up worldly, having worldly entertainment, worldly things in it, doing things that's out of the world, associating in the world, thinking they can meet the king. God don't care about that. He hates that. But we want to act like the world. Some of our churches that have said, let down the bars, taking in uh, deacons and so forth in the church, and sometimes pastors that's married four or five times, and, and some of them smoke cigarettes, say they'll, they'll get over it, they'll be all right. Get a man out of a bar room one night and put him in the pulpit the next night. I don't believe in no such I stuff. I believe a man's got to be proved. Amen. That's right. Amen. Prove. I tell you, a lot of times we call... I believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe in speaking in tongues. But I think we lay too much emphasis on that. A man can speak with tongues and a woman speak with tongues. And if her life and his life doesn't compare with what tongues you're speaking in, then it's the wrong tongue. Because the Holy Spirit will make you act like the Bible. It'll bring you to the fullness of the statue of Christ. You take a person that speaks with tongues enough temper to fight a buzz saw and talk about the neighbors and everything like that? Why would you call that the Holy Ghost? It cannot be. No, sir. The Holy Ghost is meekness, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, patience, faith. The Holy Ghost. That's the fruit of the Spirit that the Holy Spirit bears in the church of the living God. Sweetness and humbleness, humility, love one for another, long-suffering, if a brother's gone wrong, don't just beat him or something. Go after him and see if you can get him back. Yeah. Don't wait for the preacher. Do it. You do it. <laughs> Somebody else. Preacher can't do it all. Neither can the deacons. Everybody's a member of this body of Christ. Should go after one another. If we got, and if we got the Spirit of Christ in us, He taught the great parable. They left the ninety-nine and went after that one. That's what we're supposed to do. But we say, "Oh, let him go." We never should do that. We should be gentle, forgiving, long-suffering. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now we find ourselves in that Esther, after she, they put her in one of these places to get herself all fixed up, to make her show before the king. Ma, she refused it. She didn't want it. She wanted to go out just like she was. Amen. We got today that churches that wants to act like the world are... Because we get big. God said one time when he was little, they served him. But when he got big, then they forgot him. <laughs> That's right. When we had a tin pan down here on the alley somewhere with a tambourine beating it on the back of our hands and an old guitar strummed it and having a street meeting, you were humble. But when we get to having three or four million dollar buildings and great big things like that, then we get so arrogant we forget about that. That's right. 
abolish up of the world. I was into a place the other day where a holiness brother, there's a bunch of people working for him, and if every woman come out of there at coffee time to take a coffee break, every woman in there had short hair and wearing lipstick. Now you say, Brother Brandon, you ain't got no business saying that. I have. The Bible says that. Now try it. A lot of the Pentecostal women wearing clothes that pertain to a man, and God said it's an abomination in his sight. That's right. How do you expect to go to heaven like that? It shows that the Holy Spirit isn't in there. If the Holy Spirit's in there, it condemn you. Right. Or oh, you might shout, speak with tongues, run up and down, dance in the Spirit. I've seen Hindus do that and Indians and everything else. I don't mean nothing unless there's a life to back up what you're talking about. Power of the Holy Ghost. Make godly living people. That's the bride of Christ. Esther was become a bride, so she didn't want none of the adorning of the world. She wanted to go in through the king just like she was. She adorned herself like the Pentecostal women ought to with a meek, humble spirit. And when all these fancy first ladies come by with all their new fangtangle things, the king looked at them and put them in the chamber with the concubines. But when this Esther come into his sight and he got a glimpse of that sweet, humble, meek spirit, he said, that's her. Go get the crown and put it on her head. <laughs> that's it. Let them adorn themselves with that kind of a spirit. Not only the women, but the man too. Adorn themselves with that kind of a spirit. Then you're becoming ready for the, the bride. Sweet, reverent. Esther made her heart clean. There's so much we take care of this outside. Oh, it's got to have so many wrinkle removers and so much of this to, to go about it. Here some time ago, I was standing in a, a museum down in Tennessee. And I passed by a little place and it showed the analysis of a human body. Instead, a man that weighed 150 pounds in chemicals was worth 84 cents. <clears throat> uh, you're somebody, aren't you? <laughs> 84 cents. And some women, uh, Pentecostal women, will put on a $500 mink coat and stick their head up if it rained or drowned them, and they're not even worth 84 cents. It's right in chemicals. That's the truth. It's not a joke. That's the truth. 84 cents. About enough whitewash to sprinkle a hen's nest and a little bit of calcium and so forth. 84 cents. You watch that awful close. You go at the restaurant and find a get a bowl of soup and there'd be a spider in it, you'd sue the restaurant. But you let the devil poke old dirty televisions and car things down your neck and swallow it. Make you put on old gun clean clothes and these women these little tight dresses like a skin down weenie and walk out here on the street like that. And do you know, my sister, I ain't saying that joking. You get me wrong. Listen, I'm saying this. You act like that, and at the day of judgment, you'll be counted as an adulterer. Right. Jesus said, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her in his heart. And when that sinner has to answer for committing adultery, who is it? You. Who caused it? You. That's right. If you put yourself out there to look before man, to be like the world and dress like the world... I said that one time in a woman in Louisville, Kentucky. She said, well, listen here, Mr. Branham. I'll give you to understand right now. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, that's the only kind of dresses they make. I said, they make sewing machines and sell goods. Yeah. 
It's because you want to. There's something wrong in you. That's right. That's it. Inside. That's exactly right. You do it not because it's a fashion. You do it not because you have to. You do it because you want to. You smoke because you want to. You don't have to. I think the silliest thing I ever seen was a woman going in the street like you see everyone automobile with them cigarettes up between her fingers. Why, it's a disgrace! That's the biggest fifth columnist move we got in the nation. When the doctors and medical science says it's full of cancer and everything else and they suck right down on them all the time. See a woman supposed to be a Christian stretched out there on a bank with mixed bathing with a bathing suit on stretched out there. I got two girls. I don't say they wouldn't do it. They say they're getting a suntan. They'll get a suntan if I'm living. It'll be the son of Mr. It'll be the son of Mr. Brandon with a board about that long. I believe it's wrong. Then we call ourselves, oh, we're a member of the Pentecostal church. Oh, shame on you. Right? A Pentecostal church needs a cleansing all the way from the front to the back and through the cellar and basement and upstairs. It's right. And yet at all of it, it's the best we got. But it can, just like in the revolutionary in the doing time of Joan of Arc, France needed a revolutionary and they need a counter-revolutionary to straighten up some of the things it was revolting about. And the Pentecostal church needs a revolutionary. Right. <laughs> certainly does. A revolt against the things that's wrong and accept the things that's right. Amen. A fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. A church to make herself ready. Remember, it will never be. You can't say, when well, I belong to this, the assemblies, I belong to the four square, the church of God or the Jesus name or, or any of the rest of them. Now you can't get in on any of them. God calls you as an individual. And it's you that's got to clean up because he's taken a people from the Gentile for his namesake, his bride, the Gentile. Esther cleaned herself. She cleaned her heart. That's what she cleaned. That's what the church needs, a heart cleaning. How do you clean your heart, Brother Branham? Wash by the water of the Word through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible said it's wrong for women to act that way and for men to let them do it. <laughs> That's both of you. A man that'll let his woman get out in the street with naked, with clothes on like that, I got little respect for him being even a man. He's a puppet. That's right. She uses him as a dish rag. Shame on you. You ought to be man. And a pastor will let his church get by with such things out of that, blasting the tar out of it from the pulpit. It's a sissy. What we need is man, the gospel, not with rubber gloves, but with the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost, with the Word. The Bible says these things are wrong. It's wrong for people to do that way, to act that way. In order to be preached and lived and everywhere. Or the church needs a purging. A cleaning out. Esther, purged your heart before God. Walked up with a meek and humble spirit. The church that's going to be the bride of Christ. I remember Esther refused the worldly adornment. She took the spirit in her heart to go before the king. 
And the woman today, the church that thinks she's going to get him because she's got more numbers, she's the best dressed crowd, she's got the biggest organization, the biggest church in the city, and things like that, you'll miss it a million miles if you're depending on that. It's a sweet, kind, reverent spirit to the Word of God, washed by the water of the Word. And the Word in you, it's a washing. Amen. The church needs a washing. A full gospel washing. <laughs> That's right. Not just a part washing, but a full gospel washing. Cleaned up. Made new creatures in Christ Jesus. Jesus' bride is not a dirty bride. He wouldn't have his dirty bride. As we get towards the end of this episode, we'll end with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mighty love and for speaking to us today. We pray that the words that have, that have gone forth, may they make a difference in our lives and wash us from our sins and draw us closer and closer to you, that we be spiritual people. For the word teaches us that sons of God are led, sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. So, Father, help us to follow, follow your leading in all things. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Honey in the Rock, your daily dose of inspiration and encouragement. We hope to continue to earn your viewership throughout the year as we read the Bible from cover to cover. To make this a better listening experience for you, would really appreciate your feedback. So, please email us at honeyintherock.com. 2020 at gmail.com We also have accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please follow us, share our pages, and subscribe. Now we'll leave you with the parting song. God richly bless you.